Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings-on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the permavoid pitch preparation of the podcast. Don't mind me, I'm seeding nicely. And I'm joined by the junior of the podcast, Tom Alderson. No, seriously, he's very young. And finally, the Diego Urente Euros minutes of the podcast. <laughs> Might as well have not turned up. It's Darren Driver. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm alright, thanks John. Uh, I had my second jab this morning, so I'm uh, now fully Wi-Fi'd up, which is which is nice. Uh, there is an interesting parallel here with the Urente thing, actually, because for the last few weeks, the podcast has gone back to the sort of measured control of the Halcyon, Mackenzie and Hobbs days, and, and has got pretty good results. I think we'd get to a semi-final and maybe lose on penalties. <laughs> but there'll definitely be a band of fans who are sort of clamouring for my Laurentian lack of control, my inability to read what's happening, and the risk of me blowing at any, at any moment. So I'm, I'm, I am glad to be back. How are you doing, John? You all right? Yeah, it's been a while since you've been on. Yeah, I think it, well, the last one I was on was the one that I hosted and I just figured that I did such a bad job that you decided never to have me back again. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true at all. Another man who is also on this podcast. I usually try and think of a segue, but I've really, really blown it. <laughs> so I'll, I'll just say, Tom, how are you doing? I'm not too bad. I, I watched the um, the Spain Italy game last night. Actually, I thought, despite like even though for 60 minutes it was a nil nil, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good quality match. It was, mm. and what was good as well is that I fell asleep at the start of extra time and woke up just in time for penalties. So I missed the <laughs> shit bit. <laughs> well, that's perfect then. You got everything you needed. Yeah, it was a really high high quality game actually, uh, which I think would be our criticism of international football usually that it isn't particularly interesting from a tactical point of view. But that was was definitely high high standard football ball high quality and um, some some interesting tactical stuff going on as well so um, yeah probably the, probably the game that deserved to be the final let's say that <laughs> <laughs> I can't see that going down badly anyway <laughs> right before we get into this week's episode which is um, controversially titled how to beat Leeds United uh, let's go through a little bit of the new stuff the big news story is Junior Firpo has signed from Barcelona for a fee in the region of 13 million pounds uh, I think it was is it a four year deal I, I can't even remember how many three or four yeah, yeah. three or four yeah left back from, from Barcelona we have plenty of content out there if you want to find out more uh, there is a medium piece where Josh Hobbs has gone through and um, done a scouting report using video talking about the pros and cons uh, we also have a authors list on our Patreon channel if that sounds interesting to you uh, with Josh and myself and Tom talking through um, stuff about Junior and uh, also a video report on our Patreon channel as well so if any of that sounds interesting to you head over to www.patreon.com forward slash all stats aren't we and check it out Darren you are a person who has not pontificated on the the signing on this channel yet so we'll go to you first what's your take on it uh, um yeah no I, th- I think i think to a degree it, it looks like a pretty smart signing i think i think he will help us with, with some of the issues that we've had i think he looks pre- fairly neat and tidy uh in possession i think he looks like he's able to kind of find a pass when he's been pressed i think he's he's got really good um mobility and i think he'll i think he'll really support our attacking game i have to say that you know i think i think that 
although we all had criticisms of um, of Alioski, I, th- I think he did contribute a lot in our in our attacking game. So I'm not necessarily expecting huge improvements from that point of view. Maybe a more consistent quality, perhaps. Um, whereas I think Alioski could be a bit a bit wild. Um, but I but the one thing that I am really hoping for, and 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 will be interested to see, is whether whether Junior can help us um, with with that, some of our issues in terms of being pressed, and particularly in that left back area where we've con- tended to give up pos- possession quite readily um, through through the last season. Um, I think. I think my assessment of his defensive stuff, really, uh, having had a, only a quick look at him, is that he looks sort of about the same level as Ali Oskin, that he's got some of the same flaws in in terms of you know some of his one to one defending. But I think I think as we've all said that that in our system actually the burden isn't isn't hugely defensive on on that position, and I think we're just going to have to put up with that. The, one of the, one of the things that I am really pleased about though, and, and and I don't think this has been spoken about enough, is that with with Alioski, um, moving out and um, and Junior taking the number three shirt, it means our left back is wearing number three, and our most creative attacking players wearing ten, uh, which means that nature's healing itself, and confused <laughs> elderly men like me can can stop grumbling about our left back wearing number ten. So I am pleased about that. <laughs> okay, Boomer. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, I totally agree with you. I, I think it's it's a, a move we needed to to be making. It's, we were having a chat on the in the Twitter group yesterday and pointing out how few settled left backs we've had so it'd be nice to get one coming in and and knowing that he's the starter and knowing that he's I don't want to say specialist because I don't think it's quite so simple as um, just saying you have a specialist left back and that's fine Um, he's obviously going to be expected to be fairly flexible we've we've talked about this before about how Bielsa expects his left back to be able to drop in play defensively um, to move inside and play as a central midfielder and also move move into a wide position as well Um, but sounds like good Noises coming from the training sessions apparently put up the best fitness numbers in the in the early um, the, the early training assessment. So um, he's clearly going to fit into the the system quite well. He's he's uh, obviously wildly athletic, and I think that would be something that'd be really uh, I, you know even even with Alioski's I guess scurrying pressing. I think he'll he'll probably add on top of that as well. And um, yeah, I I don't worry too much about the about the defensive side of things either. Um, I guess my my worries are how useful he's going to be in in terms of the build up. Um, but I I think he'll definitely be better than 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 Alioski. So I don't think there's any any worries there. And I think there's a lot of people very excited about him in an attacking sense. But um, I, I'm not sure if he's going to be quite as good as people are making out. But again, he's obviously going to be very very dangerous um, if he's got space in front of him to drive into and get those get those low crosses in um tom alderson you've had a, a few uh, i guess you've had a week to cogitate on this have you got got anything that you wanted to add any any opinion changes on on Firpo at all nothing to add really i don't think my opinions changed i think i think for me the main thing is just the, the passing out from the back um and i think that he will be an improvement on that so that should definitely help us next year well, let's move on quickly. Cover a little of the other news. We've had a lot of movement in very boring areas, I'd say. So we um, upgraded Harrison from a loan to a to a permanent option for eleven million. Um, we've extended Dallas till twenty twenty four. We've had news of a couple of twenty um, threes players going out on loan. So um, Mateus Bogos has gone to Ibiza. That was um, announced this morning last week. Um, Mikhail Monta Morecambe was was announced as well, and um, also Rafa Mejica, the um, the player who we've owned but never really seen um, full time to Las Palmas. So that's the end of him. Um, nice to see a little bit of squad churn um, going on, and then obviously uh, the the final bit, bit of news is is Jani leaving on a free. Um, Tom Alderson memories of Jani Alioski that he was just crazy, <laughs> like on on and off the pitch. I think for me, it's a, it's a shame that he didn't sort of get that moment that Berardi and Pablo got on the last day. Um, so he's, he's kind of just going to leave with without a proper goodbye from the fans. But he, he what well, he was an important part last year, even if he was a part that we were frustrated by a lot, and it was an important part when we went up. So I am going to miss him, and then I just I wish him the best wherever he goes. I've always had quite mixed feelings about about Alioski because I think I think throughout the time he's been at Leeds, I don't think any player has frustrated me more. In fact, I'd, I'd be struggling to think of many players who've who've frustrated me more during my entire time watching Leeds United. Um, maybe there's some recency bias bias going on there. Um, but but um, 
yeah, I'll I'll miss his I'll miss his personality, and I think I think he's probably a really good influence uh, in the dressing room in terms of keeping everybody's energy high and 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 you know doing stupid dick jokes or whatever it is that he does in the dressing room to keep everyone laughing. But but I think from I think from a, a playing point of view, my, my my view is very much that it is the right time for him to move on. That that he that he goes with you know with my my respect and my, and my thanks. Um, but but promoted players move on. Um, so, you know, usually sooner rather than later, and, and I think I think that I, I I try not to get too bogged down um, in the sentiment of it all, and and just kind of accept that what's happening is that the the, the club is improving the the squad, and that that's the the right thing to do if the club's going to progress. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm you know on on one level, um, I think it's the right move, and and I'm 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 pleased that he'll you know get a good contract wherever he ends up next. Yeah, I think Johnny's a, a tricky one for us to cover, really, because obviously we focus on the on the tactical side of the game, um, and and there are obvious weaknesses in his in his game. But obviously, football isn't entirely about the hard hole, the cold hard facts of uh, tactics and, and yes, it and is. St- <laughs> <laughs> so I, so I, I'm disagreeing with you now because that's what we've been told to do by our listeners. <laughs> Ignoring Darren for, for the time being. <laughs> Obviously, when you when you are a fan of a of a club, you can you can look at the tactics and you can look at the statistics all you want, uh, but you do develop you know these these sort of uh, unique relationships with players. And Gianni Alioski is a player who it's impossible not to develop one of those relationships with because he is he is an interesting an interesting guy. He's a fairly uniquely personable guy in a world where I think a lot of players have that beaten out of them at a very early age in terms of PR sessions. And and obviously he sort of got around that coming from coming from um, North Macedonia, and so it's been great having him involved in in the squad because it just it just gives you something beyond the sort of yeah well at the end of the day I'm just happy with the three points right which is what <laughs> you're never going to get from someone like Gianni Alioski so he will very much be missed. Right before we all start bursting into tears, let's move on to the the main topic of the day, which is. Um, how do we beat Leeds United? So what we're going to do in this episode, and I, I've been told by Tom Woodhead to caveat this with, we don't want. I don't. I can't believe I'm going to say this, but we don't. We don't want Leeds to lose. So just yeah. got that that clear. But we thought it'd be interesting to do um, an episode on how opposition sides should be looking to beat Leeds United, and hopefully from that um, be able to maybe detect a, a couple of key areas where leads have weaknesses and and at the end maybe have a have a look over that. So we've decided to break it up into a number of different teams that we're going to talk about. So we'll break it into three sections and in each section we've got three template teams in there as well. You may notice that there are large similarities between our template teams and uh, and some of the teams in the Premier League. Um, but what we'll do is we'll go through that. We'll talk about how we would set up with each of these teams against leads um and and we'll we'll go from there so let's start at the top of the table um obviously leads had a well no before we do that actually let's let's just talk about what we think are the overarching uh weaknesses of leeds united that if you are an opposition manager you'd be saying to the the team right these are the all your analysts right these are the areas that we're going to specifically uh focus on so darren we'll go with you first what would you let's just have maybe one and then we'll give tom one and we'll see where we go from there so i identified five areas the primary areas where I think I think Leeds have shown weakness at times. But I'm going to start with um, a well-structured, well-targeted, and intense high press is something that Leeds have consistently failed to deal with um, in the in the in the Premier League last year. Okay, do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, I just I just think that that at times it's it's been clear that that and I'm, I'm thinking maybe back to the Arsenal game is probably the primary example of this. That that or or other games where we've been pressed intelligently out out wide is that that we we've allowed teams to funnel us into the left back left wing area and then and then really struggle to beat um beat the press there and quite often turned over possession in really dangerous areas where where elite attacking players particularly have been able to get our um our centre backs or or and and things like that so i think i think there's been, just been a lot of times when when yeah that inability to to beat the press i mean even the first half against southampton at home we were really struggling to beat their press they were putting us under so much pressure um and yeah we we really struggled to to find a way through that until, until half time yeah i think i mean you said high press there but i think you could maybe extend that to like a, an intelligent press i think for example bright brighton don't really 
press high, but they press pressed us, pushed us wide. Even even a team like Crystal Palace, who I think were lucky to beat us, um, certainly to the tune of four one, as they did. But um, I think even in that game. Um, they press us quite well in wide areas as well. Um, so I, I, I guess anything that disrupts our build-up in in in, in the normal in the normal phase um, is, is something to, to. It's sort of in our back third or in or in the middle third, really, of the two areas, really where we're vulnerable to that, aren't they? Yeah, yeah for sure. Tom, um, so the one I'm going for is if you can got someone that's like good at dribbling, you can beat your man because um, that just that destroys the man marking system basically because then they've got either like a two-on-one against one defender or another player has to cover and then that just creates spaces all over the place. Um, so that's just, yeah, that just causes loads of problems defensively. And there isn't, the way the way we sort of kind of getting around that this year is either with Dallas, um, but also, it, yeah, it, it, when we've got that spare centre-back um, at the back, as, as Bielsa likes to do, that player drops out and it just, it, yeah, it just put, it creates space for every other player on the pitch and causes us loads of problems. So that's a basically that because of a man marking system, you are at a at a weakness in terms of players being able to lose their markers um, a lot more easily than a than a zonal marking system where players aren't going to respond necessarily to the movement of opposition players. They'll they'll respond to the movement of of where the ball is and making sure their zone is covered. Cool, um, Darren. The Leeds press being broken, particularly by centre back spreading wide and 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 being able to kind of eliminate Bamford primarily from from being able to press them effectively, has caused us a lot of problems because that then gives those centre backs sort of free reign to do what they want, whether that's be to to carry the ball into the into the midfield in you know maybe some of the ways that Tom's was just described, and or whether whether that means that. Um, one of the Leeds midfield markers has to leave his man and leave him free and, and leaves on a relatively easy pass if the movement and, and the passing is intelligent enough by that from that centre-back. So that's something which has really caused us problems. And I'm thinking uh, probably Chelsea away, maybe, they did, they did that quite a bit um, and, and managed to get Kante on the ball in the midfield free quite a few times as a result of, of the ball being fed to him by the centre-backs. And uh, I guess the City game that we won yep, where yep. John Stone's got a kilometre of, of progressive carries um, which is pretty pretty mind-blowing obviously they didn't make the most of that but um, that was a, that was I mean and, it's, and I'm sure we'll talk about City at some point but they are a team who are very intelligent at manipulating space and uh, I think that's going to be a, a oft-repeated tune in this episode that we talk about um, players um, teams that have the ability to move opposition players around create space are going to cause problems for our man marking system tom have you got another one yep so i've got a low block and i don't think this is just a leeds thing i think this is a any team in the world struggles against a low block because you're kind of reliant on either sort of a a pattern of play coming off um which is more what you see was like man city or you just need that individual moment and again that's just something that a team like man city can deal with because they've got a lot of better players and whereas Leeds are kind of looking for I don't know, probably Rafinha mostly um, or Harrison's putting a good cross and in previous years we've just seen this we've just been it's Pablo has to do that job or or no one else um, so uh, yeah it's not just a Leeds thing it's just any team in the world struggles against a low block mm-hmm. Darren have you got I've got two more actually I thought I had one but I've got two um, one of them is Corners that that if if you're able to if you're a team that's got somebody who's able to deliver the ball very well and you've got people who are able to attack the ball well and move well in the box and I think Leeds are vulnerable to conceding goals there and and I think I think that's just although I think there were improvements in the number of times we conceded towards the end of the season we've seen throughout Bielsa's reign that this is something which has been a problem then been solved then been a problem then been solved then been a problem and I think that that pattern will continue so I don't doubt that there will be times in the forthcoming season when we come up against people who've got that combination of things and, and we'll see that apparent Achilles heel come back again. Tom, do you have any more? I've got transition written down and that, that might kind of come under uh, what Darren said about the coordinated press because it's like if, if a team can press us then they can hit us in transition um, either when the man market system's not um, in the right place or there's play, or if players have gone forward because like we do tend to commit forward as a, um, as a team then if you could put play, players I don't, Dan James just comes to my head for some reason I don't know um, and yeah, if you could just get those fast players that can dribble through as quickly, then that's definitely going to cause us problems. That was my final one as well, but specifically, I, I phrased it as being caught in transition when the midfield balance isn't working correctly, because that's something that we've really struggled to to 
correct throughout the course of the season I think yeah turning over in the midfield area was something we did a lot early on um, until we became a bit more defensive and and didn't really throw centre midfielders beyond the ball at any point Um, yeah good I would maybe add one more to this list which I don't know if you guys think what you guys think about this but I've I wanted to add back threes perhaps I think we struggle against teams that that play with back threes largely. Um, So I'm thinking Brighton play a back three. Uh, Wolves played back threes against us. Um, There's there's been other teams that have played with a back three against us where we've struggled. Um, Mainly because I think if you it may be that we if we've talked about the three four three formation being a really nice um, formation to mid block press in uh, and and try and smother leads in wide areas I suppose um, and if you do that then you reduce um, the opposition to, well you reduce leads to crossing the ball in from wide areas and if you have three tall centre-backs then you've you've basically you know that the only thing they're going to be able to do is cross from those wide areas and you know you've got three centre-backs in there as well so um, I think maybe maybe teams playing a back threes against leads would would uh, in, if you if you can nullify the thing that leads are good at which is I think quick transitions in wide areas then you force them to have to cross the ball in and you, you cover the, the options of, of leads necessarily being that dangerous from, from crosses when I guess the, the only real strong header of the ball that you've got is is Pat Bamford in, in the middle. The back freeze kind of covers like the, the defenders dribbling out from the back as well, doesn't it? Because that, that's... It, we do we kind of fixed that with the pressing last year, but it's still something that I'm not too sure that we're great at dealing with. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Right, well, let's move on then to these the three different categories of sides. So we start off with top six sides. Um, so three different teams in here. One is, the first one is this, four t- uh, the team that play 4-2-3-1 with poor coaching, but they've got elite players across the pitch. Um, they don't have much of a tactical uh, approach beyond, inshallah. This is obviously Manchester United. So <laughs> how would we start thinking about how... I mean, obviously Manchester United are a team who beat us last season. Um and then and then didn't in the in the second um, fixture. How would we go about as a Manchester United coach at, at approaching the Leeds game? For this one as well, I think could have been Frank Lampard's Chelsea as well a little bit. But the the way I, the way that this was actually more interesting when I was digging into it because obviously the first game was six two and they it just was all our weaknesses were exploited. Um, whereas the second one we they didn't really do it, and I think the the difference was that. Um, they didn't play Pogba or Rashford in the second game, I don't think, because uh, I think that it was around that time when they had. Like, I think Rashford did play, but I think he was. It, it didn't look like he was comfortable. I think he was struggling. Was he up front or something? And I think that might have nullified him. Yeah, they didn't play Cavani, did they? In that no, game? yeah, that's right. Well, yeah, so like a player like Cavani, just it's that movement and Pogba and Rashford's ability to dribble at a player and beat beat the man is something that definitely causes problems. So. If that was if that was me doing that, I'd be playing Pogba, Rashford in probably on both wings and getting them just to try and beat their man, because um, then that'll just that'll cause the problems. And 
it depends what sort of style Leeds are going for because in the first game, obviously, we were much easier to catch in transition. Uh, so a player like Dan James obviously causes problems. But in the second game, Dan James, we, we kind of saw Dan James nullified by the fact that we kind of sit a bit deeper. Um, probably because Dallas was playing, that probably helped us a bit. Um, so it, that's one that maybe, I don't know, you start on the bench and then and then go for. And then the, the last one's... Um, I'd just be getting Maguire just to dribble out from the back as as much as I can just to cause us problems that way. Yeah, I think I think I think I agree with that. I think to to a degree, but I think the the one thing that I would say is that that in the second game, the one thing that they didn't do was attempt to get their their more creative players on the ball in deeper areas where where I think they could have turned and and, and run at the Leeds midfield and 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 done some damage. So I think that in when I I dug into the numbers of that of that second game for the for the um, end of season review, and it was really clear that 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 really the centre backs had as much Leeds were content to let the centre backs cover the carry the ball as deep as 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 they wanted because they knew that they were then going to be able to pick up the more dangerous players in in a, in a you know kind of quite structured way whereas i think that if 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 a team like that that's got a lot of individually skillful attacking players can get the can get them on the ball um kind of maybe around halfway or a little bit deeper and get them to turn and run directly at the Leeds midfield. I think they've got a better chance of, to use the, the Bielsa term, of unbalancing the Leeds man-marking system and finding space. And I think I think that, that a, a tactic, you know, if, if somebody was, you know, tactically smart, I think that's probably one, one of the things that they would, would try and do. And also maybe try and, um, try and isolate um, your more skillful attacking players against the Leeds' weakest um defensive link which i think a lot of the times last season was in was in the left back area so try and try and get you know um whichever atta- skillful attacking player you've got on on the right hand side and and try and overload them with maybe a full back maybe not with Wan-Bissaka for man united cuz it's not really his game but but maybe to try and to try and create uh, you know dangerous situations by unbalancing leads left hand side would be something that you might want to be looking at doing I'm going to offer maybe a slightly different approach to this one, which is that I think Manchester United's real upside comes from their counter-attacking play. Um, and I think part of the problem of what they did last time was that they, yeah, the, part of the problem of what they did last time was they tried to be just too transitional in, in, in the way that they played. Whereas what I think they should try and do is be even more transitional and so sit really deep. Try draws out. Draw leads yeah. out, yeah. yeah. Because I think if if you give leads the, the space, they they will build up through it and they will you can draw them into wide areas. And I would just sit sit a little bit deeper, look to press the ball and then just release I mean they're gonna have Jaden Sancho next next season. They'll you could have Rashford on, on one side, you could use Dan James as well on the other. They've got Cavani and elite forward, they've got Pogba who can play amazing passes. Yeah, I would I would sit deep, draw leads out create space in behind and 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 try and exploit it um because i think the the problem is is that if you try and do the do what they did in the second game of last season you then are going to have to require some sort of attacking um um i i suppose logic or or interchange or um process where whereby you are moving players around and i don't think they can do that when leads are in a slightly more low block. So I, if I was um, approaching this game, I think I would sit deep and just try and draw them out and create that space and just hit them bang, bang, bang long. But the problem is, I think, and this is maybe something that happened a lot last season, is that Premier League sides are a little bit arrogant, I think, and so they aren't willing to be like, well, let's just let's just sit deeper against a team like Leeds and then just use, the, use our real strength, which is counter-attacking at pace. I suspect Leeds might have refused to move, you know, in that second game, John. I, I, th- I think that, that Leeds have been so badly burned by the Old Trafford experience that I, that I think that, that there was a real clear reluctance to kind of get involved in the game as an attacking force at all. And I, in fact, I do think that, that we definitely played to nullify that, that idea of even being, being drawn out. That, that's just my sense. I don't, I don't know what you guys think. No, I'd probably agree with that. I think we'd have probably had... Some I'd go, but I'd, yeah, I don't think we'd have sort of overloaded in the way that we normally do, and I don't think you, you probably wouldn't have seen like Ailing or Alioski sort of pressing on as much, just out of fear of getting caught in the same way we did in the first game. So yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think that you you maybe do run that risk, but I think that it's one it's it's hard to not do that. I think if you, especially for a team like Leeds who are doing build up right. Um, 
you are trying to move the ball from one area to another um, and regardless of whether or not the team, the opposition are putting pressure on you, you're still going to do that. You're not sim- simply going to be like, wait a minute, they're, they're trying to draw us out here. Um, if it didn't work, I would just simply switch and, and do what they probably should have done in the second game, which is played Pogba and Cavani from the start and and just caused us problems through having just players who can who can create those moments. Um, Pogba can find... Yeah, Cavani, um, Rashford. We'll, we've talked about Jaden Sancho. We've also got Bruno Fernandes, who is a, a player who is uh, has an incredible ability to find dangerous players in the box as well. But I think that would be the best way for them to kick off. Kick off. Just just see if they can get anything. And yeah, okay, Leeds might uh, sit sit back eventually when they realise that that's what was happening. But um, I, I think at that point you then you then change things up. I just think the most dangerous upside of, of a team like Manchester United is going to be that. But let's move on to talk about another Manchester side. So th- play four three three, maybe four two three one occasionally with good coaching and elite players across the pitch using positional play. So Manchester City. I think to a degree with with um, with Man City, I think what what needs to happen um, is that that they just need to trust their inherent talent their inherent process and they need to concentrate on moving the ball moving leads man marking system around and and kind of let, letting the facts that they've got you know the likes of um kevin de bruyne and and, and other people of, of of you know equal or or nearly equal ability um try and pick and find holes in in the lead system because they know that leads are not going to play you know necessarily with with a low block, they know that the Leeds man marking system can be exploited with with good movement, um, and to to a de- to a degree, I think it would just be about letting that team play their natural game, the game that they've been coached in for all that time, and and letting them do some damage, and also making sure that their press is effective. Because if you think back to the the City game at Elland Road in the first twenty minutes, it was their press that really mullered us, not the stuff they did with the ball. Um, so, so so trying to really make sure that they, they they press leads into submission and try and get the game, try and get an early goal, um, and then that would obviously create space because leads would then have to come out a little bit more, as, or or would would be allowed to come out a little bit more, and then we'd we'd, we'd be ringing the game game state clacks, and I think at that point, and City would be able to pick pick, you know, with the ability they've got, City should be able to pick pick leads off. Yeah, I feel as though we maybe got away with City a little bit last season. I think they were obviously a little bit at sea at the beginning of the season and we, we really gave them a good game in, in, the, in that first um, fixture, especially because I think Guardiola quick, too quickly sort of tried to trade blows in a transitional game uh, when I think they should have just carried on plugging away and doing what they do, uh, which is what they did, I think, towards the end, actually. They dropped a little bit deeper and then started trying to break us down and um, they, they started controlling the game again. And then in the, the, I mean, in the second game, they did enough probably to win to win the game and they were playing their pretty much second team as well. So I'm, I'm very much with you, Darren. This is probably a case for City of just being like, stick by your principles, trust the process, and um, you're, you, most of the time you're going to win games like that. I think we've said a few times, haven't we, that, that in, in big games, I think Guardiola, or in games that Guardiola sees as big, i.e. when he's coming up against Bielsa rather than coming up against Leeds United, that, that he does kind of tend to have a, have a tendency to try and overcomplicate things at times. And, and actually, my view is very much if you put his best 11 players up against Leeds, best 11 players with their system, they should win You know, seven times out of 10, eight times out of 10. I think it's that he respects managers tactically. I think that's the problem. So for someone like Bielsa, he 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 almost doesn't trust himself to be able to beat Bielsa by playing his tactics. So he has to try and do something different. I think that's what people and that's been his criticism in in the Champions League as well. Is that it, it's almost like he feels as though to win those big games, he has to do something out of the ordinary rather than just doing the things that City do well from the off. Anyway, uh, Tom, would you add anything to to what we've said? N- nothing really to add. I just think with with if it's City as the example that they've got because of the nature of those elite players, they can just hit all those. I think I've got seven written down that we discussed at first. They can just kind of hit those, and they can kind of interchange between them. So if you just kind of leave them to do their own thing, they'll eventually find a weakness in us that will cause us problems and beat us. So the third team in this section, we've talked about the three four three already. There's not many teams actually who play that that way. I don't think in the in the top six. So uh, it'd be interesting to talk about a three four three with good coaching and elite players across the the pitch. Maybe slightly more defensive in in tenor, which is what um, Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea were like when they when they played against us. We got a nil nil draw against them. Again, obviously that was early in Tuchel's um, tenure, and he was 
maybe a, a little bit slow getting the attacking roots um, out of his team but um, I, I, no doubt with a pre-season under their belt Chelsea are going to look pretty dangerous next season playing probably in this 3-4-3 formation so um, yeah Tom what do you make of Tuchel's Chelsea? Chelsea are kind of more the team that would maybe go for the approach that you suggested that uh, Man United would go for John where they would kind of sit sit deeper and use that threat that they have in transition with players like um, Timo Werner because they could just they could even just go long to Werner and just um, that will just pull us back and then create sort of space for other players. And we saw as well, um, it was Pulisic, wasn't he? He was playing right wing back. Um, that caused us so many problems just because with his ability to dribble. But that the three four three with like, I just remember in that game Chelsea's counter press being unbelievable. Um, and I just think that completely nullified Leeds going forward. So I would just there. Were, that the defensive side of that game from Chelsea was very good, so I wouldn't really change much from that. Um, and then attacking wise, they, I think Havertz played up front in that game, and he, I think he was kind of still getting used to playing that centre forward role for Chelsea. But he did seem, seem to from after that game, I think he did seem to improve as the matches went on, and he was actually uh, very threatening. And I, th- I think he kind of played there for Germany as well in the Euros sometimes. So it'd be interesting to see what. Um, because I don't, personally, I don't think that is actually the best way of going about beating Leeds is Havertz. Because I think he would be he's a player that tends to drop deeper, and maybe that will drag a man out. But we do tend to follow those players well and then cover for them. So I, I think what we saw in the first game was a player like Giroud causes a lot more problems with his movement in the box, and is um, because of the quality of players that Chelsea have, they can just they they will find Giroud if he makes those movements enough that um, that I think that would cause us more problems than a stri- striker like Havertz would. I guess with the three four three as well, you can either have as they did in the second game, Havertz as a second striker dropping in and then two wide players going beyond him, or you could do it like the way that you're talking about with with Giroud being like the player who is is the focal point but then you have those two other players who maybe you can have a little bit more flexibility with in the front three um and yeah I think I, I tend to agree with you in terms of of the way that Chelsea maybe got that wrong because I think as you've said the Leeds man marking system means that a player like Havertz dropping deep dragging his marker with him isn't really going to upset the system that much um I think when you when you when you're moving Leeds around if you do it laterally rather than horizontally it doesn't really change much um I think that the the issues always come from when you maybe take Calvin Phillips for example out of the middle which is something Manchester United did well with Bruno Fernandes in the first game um when you move players from side to side it causes problems but I think when when you do it maybe a little bit more laterally it's not quite so much of a problem because you're still you've still got that player in the middle uh, and not creating big spaces in front of goal. Uh, Darren, did you want to add anything on Chelsea? No, I think I think I sort of largely agree with what's been said. I, th- I think that that you know Chelsea kind of largely stayed in 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 a mid block when they played us um, at Ellen Road, and and I think that really worked because it meant it, it really meant that their intelligent press and their intelligent counter press, excuse me, meant that we went. Um, Really able to pro- progress the ball through through the through the thirds at all, and I I think that one of the things that, that a team like Chelsea should be able to do is to make sure that within that mid block that, that Phillips can only receive the ball from the, the centre backs on Melier really, and that his only option is to pass backwards or uh, pa- pass backwards or sideways, which I guess really cuts off a lot of you know Leeds um, build up and um, means that we we just ended up. If you remember, I think we ended up being, you know, really largely um, boxed in and un- unable to, to kind of uh, build up at all or get any attacking threat going. And we were pressed really effectively, I think, um, in that game. And I think I think in possession for for Chelsea, I think that, um, or for a team like Chelsea, an elite team playing a 3-4-3, you know, effectively it is, it's a, a 3-4-3, but with two tens, isn't it, who've got kind of got free reign to kind of move around and, and go cause problems where they think they can find them. And I, I think that, that one of the things that that Chelsea Chelsea will be good at is is that kind of deep build up that we talked about earlier, trying to draw the leads press out. So splitting the three centre backs really wide, trying to draw the leads press on, um, and then giving us giving the leads press too much ground to cover so that they can isolate the best ball carrying centre back and let them drive into the midfield, um, and then rely on the kind of elite movement and mobility and rotation of those tens and the attacking players to kind of move the the, the leads defenders around like you said move Phillips away from the centre so that you can get at the centre backs or in the gaps between the centre backs with, with your two your two tens so 
Um, and also, I think because Chelsea have got very mobile front players, if Leeds are managing to get get the press working effectively, that will leave gaps where your elite passes can find you know kind of balls into the channels, much like Chelsea did in the Champions League final at times. Go a little bit more direct and, and use the kind of pace and mobility and, and a, a, a exciting attacking talent of the forward players to cause problems. Yeah, I think the the reason why Chelsea struggled against us maybe in the second game was because they don't really have a centre-back who is going to be able to carry the ball forward and, and make those dangerous passes. Um, obviously, I mean, Aspilicueta is, is obviously like a defensive fullback. He's a fairly good ball-playing centre-back, but I don't think he's... He's not necessarily going to pick the ball up and go through the middle. And then you've got Thiago Silva, who's about a thousand years old and uh, obviously a very good passer, but I don't think... And he was the player, he I suppose, the player who was player at Stamford Bridge that. who did it to us as well. He caused us all sorts of problems at Stamford Bridge and, and yeah, just by doing I mean, that. that's true. But I think maybe maybe the if they were to bring in uh, a centre back who is uh, someone more of the of the Manchester City mold so someone like Laporte or Stones someone who who is going to just carry the ball and then try and lay the ball off in really ex- advanced areas that would cause us loads of problems as well um but yeah I yeah totally agree with you and we should we should move on so let's move to the mid table sides so the first mid table side I've got is a flexible team who plays either 4231 or 343 not necessarily the best players across the pitch but a lot of talent and very well drilled um so this you may remind you of a certain Leicester team Darren I think we're, we're back at you we are yeah and, and I think I think Leicester were really interesting last season because in one of the games they found they found a method in the first game that, that was very effective against us and you know really brutalised us and set a lot of traps which we just walked into and then in the second game completely changed their tactical approach um, didn't use that same sort of method at all, apart from for a spell in the second half, and, and where we where we managed to get on top of it, and it, and it, you know that kind of three four three, um, and it, and it was a kind of it was somewhere between a mid block and a low block, I think. So so that they were in a position whereby that they, they forced leads to pass the ball laterally very often, and then and then countered really quickly and really effectively and obviously in the first game that utilised the pace of Vardy which is one of their primary weapons when he's fit and and the you know the players in behind him whether it's Madison or whoever to kind of you know find the passes find the intelligent movement and, and try and kind of feed Vardy worked, worked really effectively and I think in that first game at Elland Road they really set a template for themselves which they then failed to follow in the second game which I thought was quite interesting. The three four three kind of is covered a lot by what we mentioned about Chelsea as well. I think the what I do like about this is that you can be flexible. Um, so if you do switch to that four-two-three-one, if it's not working, that whilst I don't, it wasn't as effective. I think it can it can cause us problems in in other ways. I just think you get uh, was it Madison and Barnes higher up the pitch, and those two players cause us all sorts of problems in both games. That I think the they scored first in the second game, and I think it was Madison to to. Maybe Madison divided to Barnes. I can't some combination like that. And it was the first time they'd managed to get any of them free in that first game. You know, and, yeah. and they only needed one chance to do it, and they scored from it. Yeah. So if you can get those players just on the ball as much as possible, then I think you you're just going to cause us uh, cause Leeds problems. I think the the real benefit of being a flexible team playing against Leeds is that you know, however you structure yourselves, Leeds are going to have to respond to that structure. So there's a certain extent to which you can dictate the way that you want Leeds to play. So. I think as a, a, a manager of a team who are able to do that sort of flexible switch, I would I would have a look and see that season, what, the areas that they're struggling in the most and try and determine which structure um, really brings out those those maybe weaker elements uh, and then play the, the system that, that would work. And I think it's, it's really interesting that when when Leicester played the three four three in the first game, they they sort of decimated us. Um, but but Rodgers has got into this sort of habit of of playing three four three away from home because it was a little bit more passive, uh, and then at home trying to play the the four two three one because it was a, maybe a little bit more of an expansive, um, pr- positive uh, approach to the game, and that didn't work at all. And to be honest with you, when they did go back to three four three, yes, we did um, we did cope with that a lot better than we did the other the other time. We obviously came away with the win, um, but I think they were they still caused does more problems than they did in the 4-2-3-1 so I I guess if I was Brendan Rodgers at Leicester next season I would think seriously about maybe playing the 3-4-3 in both occasions as well yeah I agree Right, the next mid-table side is four-two-three-one with a young manager and good talents across the field um, who tend to play a fairly ponderous possession football, which is obviously Arteta's Arsenal. Um, 
Are we back to you, Tom? What What are your thoughts about about how Arsenal should set up against Leeds? This is the one that I struggled with the most because I find Arsenal so just meh. Like I just <laughs> they, whatever the is like is their tactical identity? They play ponderous possession football. That's just depressing, isn't it? But um, the, the yeah, the way that they cause those problems. So the way you did go about it is just. Um, trying to funnel the the ball into the wide areas and then just pressing very aggressively because that will just stop us in build-up and basically mean that we, we can't attack and then you can just try and... It's almost like you can't... We, we weren't kind of a tradition because we never actually attacked. Um, so, but yeah, if you, so you press that wide areas, win the ball back and then just use... You've got qual- you have got quality players at Arsenal. Um, so I think if you just give them enough chances by doing that then it will work out and we saw that with Aubameyang that he he just got enough chances that he was able to score a hat-trick in that second game um apart from that like I was I was struggling to say what what to do with Arsenal because I just I just don't think they really do anything <laughs> I think they I think they intentionally pressed Melier from our left back area moving across towards the right back area they did that several times one of the times it ended up leading to the penalty but they also did it on numerous other occasions because you're pushing Melier onto his weaker foot which means that he's trying to pass with his right foot probably to players who are already picked up because Arsenal are trying to funnel people to our left um, so I think that that's something which I think more teams, if if they you know they they could they could notice that and and try and make sure that Melier is under pressure and that he doesn't just have time to kind of to pick the passes because we know that if you do give him time and space to pick passes he'll he'll pick out a large degree of those you know good forty yard balls out to out to the wide area so I think that's something to be noted. I think one thing I was going to add to that as well is that I think they in that game they did. Um, Put Jacka, so he's like a back three, and that's it causes problems that way as well. Um, I don't know if, um, so that that kind of covers the problems that we discussed in the three four three a bit. That it allows one of the centre backs to dribble out and causes problems. And the the thing is, obviously, I think Jack is left or is leaving. So it'd be interesting to see if there is a way that a player that can replace that. Because if not, it's another. But it's one less thing they've got to cause those problems. It's funny, isn't it? Because I I tend to agree with you that. Arsenal are fairly mess side, but I think that was probably the most intelligent win that a Premier League side got against us last season. Um, and I was surprised that we didn't. Uh, maybe this is to do with COVID and it being the end of the season and, and people being exhausted, but I was surprised that we didn't see other teams just trying to do a really high aggressive player for player press from goal kick situations after that point. Because against Arsenal, we just we simply couldn't get the ball out. Um, until we just started lumping it long, um, and we played for that like that for the whole of the first half. And I remember the Arsenal game; we gave away three goals fairly quickly at the by the around the around the halfway mark. Um, so yeah, I think it will be fascinating to see whether or not other teams have sent their analysts away this summer and said to them, "Right, we've got to do something different against Leeds. Um, we can't approach them the way that we did. Find some." weak areas see the games where they struggled and and see what we can do in terms of a, 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 a game model to to beat them uh, and I think that that aggressive high press where you match match players one for one and then leave the weakest player in the back line as the bait ball out um, so that the, the the ball has to be pinged in over a def, over an a, a opponent um, so that you're putting that player under a huge amount of pressure to just bring the ball down and then build up from there um, but I think that pretty much covers Arsenal the other um London side who caused us problems last season was West Ham who beat us both times I've got them down as uh, 4-2-3-1 with an old manager who plays solid football with two big defensive midfielders in the double pivot uh, obviously West Ham set pieced Munch does I think they've I think the majority of the goals they scored against us were set pieces last season Oh, I think all the goals they scored against us were set pieces right okay yeah yeah, yeah. so Darren yeah that's it keep, keep the game tight make sure that you don't give any silly big chances away that you you know kind of keep leads contained contained in those wide areas definitely i think west ham did that really well in in both games um make sure that that when leads do have the ball in advanced areas wide that you've got good cover in the middle and that, that that really they are in that situation where all they can do is lump crosses in um make sure that you kill all the space and then try and win a couple of set pieces and exploit leads weakness there with your superior delivery um and you know i think they got three three corners against us has scored from three corners against us last season I think I'm right in saying um, so I think I think it's a fairly well thumbed uh, and well trodden path 
for, for Moyes it's kind of how it's how he chooses to to play football against most teams and and he's you know I think I think he's the, the kind of dictionary definition of a pragmatic manager really and that that probably it, they're not the they're not the funnest side to watch they're not the most entertaining team but um and particularly when they come up against you know good attacking teams uh, like like Leeds can be um that they're always going to cause us problems because they're going to put they're going to put the burden on us to break them down um and and in all likelihood because of the way that they kill space particularly in the in the in the middle and funnel us out wide we're not going to be able to do that yeah i'd agree with all that when i was going through this i just had set pieces written in capital letters <laughs> um but the the only thing i would add is i think they they also set up in both i think because ben rama didn't play that much for them but he played both games against us I'm pretty sure, and when Lingard joined as well, that caused us a lot of problems because they just, they both their ability to dribble just causes problems. I don't have anything to to add to this one. I think that the, this is the sort of game where we know what to expect, and we know that it's going to uh, attack a very specific weakness of of Leeds, and so it's it's just a case of like you said, make make sure that you you're concentrating for the the set pieces, which seems a bit bit of a miserable thing to say, but I definitely think that there are. Uh, areas where where Sam can be got at um, uh, as well. I think in in terms of the structure, the obviously the double pivot are the the big thing for West Ham, but Leeds largely avoid those those areas. So I don't think it necessarily matters that much. So I would be very much of the opinion that you know just keep doing what you do, build up the ball down the wide areas, and uh, uh, and look to to cause problems from from wide spaces. I think what a double pivot like West Ham's do really well is they scout that kind of that low ball back to the edge of the box from wide areas that, that Leeds try and get to. So it means that they're always going to that they're going to kill that as a as an opportunity for Leeds really. So that, you know you're not going to get Click arriving late or Rafinha arriving late from the other side without being spotted by one of the, and covered by one of the double pivot. And they definitely, as a double pivot, do sort of rotate sideways. So one will drop into one. Yeah fullback area and one will drop into the other and that that can be a problem if Leeds are trying to do build up in the, in those advanced spaces but um yeah I I think it's 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 not particularly guileful football that West Ham are playing but it is r- remarkably effective I liked how you said that through grit your, your teeth were actually <laughs> gritted <that job. laughs> let's let's move on to relegation side so um we've got we've got a few different ones the first one we've got is promoted side so um I think for this one, we've got promoted sides who look to actually play quite nice, ex- expressive football, but with a with perhaps a lower player base. Um, so I've got Brentford, Norwich, and to be honest, Watford probably fit in there as well. Um, I actually contacted um, David Anderson of Bees Tactics just to ask him what he would do. Um, so I yeah I said how how would you beat Leeds and he said, uh, geez a few ways scream out to me hit the wide space behind fullbacks when the opportunity presents itself which I, I guess something we've not really talked about much in that we know that Leeds have advanced um, fullbacks and so there is that that weak space that if you can get players in behind them then you've you've, you've sort of isolated the the lead centre backs in in a certain extent so I'm glad that he's brought that up he said happy with a mid block out of possession with. Uh, Jensen or Norgard pushing forward behind Tony, uh, and then Brian and Bemo trying to stop easy routes forward to into um, Calvin Phillips and beyond. That's an interesting one. We've also not talked about actually the fact that Phillips is is an important part of the of the build up or the defensive midfield position is. Um, we saw that with with Arsenal, right? Was that they they made sure that the pivot just didn't get any time and space on the ball in build up phases. Um, so it's interesting that David has has highlighted that. And then he says, I'd go with our wing back 3-5-2 to start asking Canos to de- deliver the up and down duties on the left and Roslev on the right. Uh, block crosses like our lives depended on it. And then the killer blow after keeping it tight is the deep corners and set piece blocker routines using Pinnock at the back post firing in back towards goal. Um, so yeah, it sounds like a fairly sem- sensible approach to me. Um trying to get get a certain amount of uh, license down the wings win win set pieces and, and, and score goals from set pieces for, from them so even though we've talked about uh, Brentford and, and Norwich's teams who are going to try and play they're still going to I think be a, a level of a, a defensive um, awareness from from them they're not just going to come out and try and blow it away so um, anyone got any thoughts on how we should approach how, how teams like this should approach Leeds? Yeah, I think it's interesting because last season we were very good at beating the teams below us by and large, you know, we 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 kind of got through those games relatively smoothly and 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 in in order for next season to be stress-free, 
that's absolutely going to need to be the case again we can't suddenly de- develop a kind of blind spot around beating around beating you know with with all due respect to to Brentford and Norwich who I both think are good clubs and and who are actually both teams that I enjoy watching we we need to, we do need to be beating those teams I, I think I think it's interesting the the thing about um trying to get in behind the fullbacks um because I I think that we do tend Leeds do tend to cover that by dropping either Phillips or or Dallas into to sit in that kind of half space so that they've got the flexibility to move centrally or or wider to cover the the space but I, but I do agree that the that the you know there probably is some joy to be found there in 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 terms of you know trying to flood players into that into that space if if you do get chance to but but by and large i think i agree with david i think those for for those teams that that would be the the chance and especially if they if they are smart from set pieces and able to get quite a few chances and and you know, if pontus jansen particularly is still playing for brentford i think it's pretty much you know nailed on that he'll eventually score from a corner against us with his 6 foot 5 big massive forehead um so it'd be interesting to see how how we kind of counteract that just to clarify, Jansen's forehead isn't six foot five. Jansen is six foot five and has <laughs> no, a no. He, he's two inches, and his forehead <laughs> is six foot three. <laughs> okay, well, let's move on to say so a couple of teams. I think what's interesting about next season is that there may be some t- traditional Premier League teams who are, are drawn into the into the uh, relegation mix a little bit more this time around. I mean, I, I guess we're we're talking about Crystal Palace here, who are the the the, the narrative heavies in in regards to the fact that they're obviously losing a lot of players, um, a lot of contracts running out over the summer. Um, they're one of their most exciting players, Abirieze, who Leeds fans know all too well, is missing the first part of the season because he picked up an Achilles injury back in May. Uh, I believe playing five aside with his mates, uh, of all things. Um, so yeah, and they've just brought in a new manager, Patrick Vieira, who doesn't have the most stellar record. So uh, a team who will be probably um, in the relegation battle. So um, who are we up to? I think Tom. I think it's me. Yeah, I'm glad <laughs> yeah. you've gone to Tom first there because I ain't got a fucking clue what to say for this. <laughs> I'd, I'd I'd make ten signings. <laughs> that would probably be my first start. So I've actually got a squad. Um, and then, yeah, I think it's it's made even hard by this that they're probably the first game they're not going to have Eze because um, he was one that causes a lot of problems in, I think, the first game more in particular. So I think it's it's keeping it quite simple. I think you're just putting, you're going for a low block. You just hope, you know, you're just trying to get the ball to Zaha and Eze if he's available. And then I think you're just hoping for set piece as well because I think they did, they do kind of have a bit of threat from a set piece as well. Um and I really haven't got much more to go at it than that. <laughs> this is a team who just has to low block and hope for the best. I, I, I don't think that's necessarily a bad way to go with, with Leeds. I'm, I'll be interested to see how many teams actually do this uh, after after last season. Obviously, we saw the same sort of thing happening in the Championship, but a lot quicker um, as teams realised that if they tried to go transitional against us, that they were going to lose that battle. So um, I think a team like Crystal Palace are just going to be a, a classic example of just sit deep and see what you can get and um, yeah, hope for the best, which isn't very interesting, but I think might be the best way. Um, that said, I think there are intelligent things that you can do, and we saw Palace do that against us last season. As I've said before, they Palace tend to play in a four-four-two, and and they pressed us quite well in wide spaces. So they made sure that Leeds didn't really get any license to move in advanced wide areas. And I think once you do that and you force Leeds to cross, they're they're on the back foot. They they are already at a disadvantage. What you don't want is their players to get the ball on the floor in front of them with space in behind um, fullbacks because they are then going to cause you a lot of problems. But if you can prevent that, um, then then you force Leeds to sort of get frustrated and, um, and, and just, yeah, sit deep, make them play one side to the other, don't give them any easy ins. Obviously, it requires a lot of concentration and it's hard work and the odds are that the best you'll get out of it is a draw, but I think for, for a team possible relegation, that's not a, not a particularly bad odds. I think whatever you say about Roy Hodgson, and I've said a lot about him over the years, his his teams are always defensively difficult to beat and difficult to break down. Um, I have to say, I haven't got the first clue what Patrick Vieira's playing style is like, or what what you know what his kind of qualities are as a coach, or or, or anything beyond you know kind of cursory glance at his record. I think he's probably in the same boat, to be honest. So okay. Um. Right, final one, four four two with a manager who's famous for playing stodgy but effective football. Um, you may this may remind you of Burnley, uh, and that would be our intention. <laughs> we obviously had a game against we beat Burnley in both games. The first one was a horror show, 
um, the second one was a little bit more comfortable. Um, so, so when it comes to Burnley, Darren, what would you be saying to Sean Dyche? Well, I listened to the Super Six. Is it Super Six podcast? And Sean Dyche did it a few a few weeks ago. Uh, it was a really interesting listen, actually. But he he said that. Um, that Pep Guardiola had described playing Burnley as been like a visit to the dentist, um, and and I think that's a really accurate description because the 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 Burnley home game was awful and the most horrendous thing to watch. And actually, although we beat beat them quite comfortably at the end of the season, the first half was by no means comfortable because they got a lot of joy from us by kind of. They actually pressed us high. They pressed us quite high and and with, and with intensity. And they're obviously a very physical team. Um, and and I think I think where it falls down is quite a lot of the time they won the ball in quite dangerous areas in both games, but they didn't quite have the quality to kind of necessarily do anything that you know break us down or create a huge number of chances. But eventually, if they keep kind of pinging balls into to Chris Wood or or whoever happens to be playing up front for them, um, th- they they will eventually create chances and I think there's every chance that Burnley could take a point or three off us this season just by doing the same things that they did in the second half of the home game particularly and in the first half of the the, the game at Turf Moor. Uh, it's not big, it's not clever, it's not cultured, it's not kind of, you know, super smart or intelligent but again in, in similar to, to, to West Ham it, it can be very effective and it's been effective enough to keep a, a club like Burnley who by you know kind of financially have got no real right to be in the Premier League um, if you if you look at it from those points of view has kept them very comfortably in the Premier League for a good number of years now so I think Sean, Sean Dyche knows his formula a lot, a lot better than I do and I think that he'll just stick precisely to the to, to the same formula that's gotten Burnley the success they've had over the last few years the coordinator press that they did um, in both games was sort of like I don't think they usually do that but was something that definitely causes problems so I would definitely be doing that and then the the balls into Wood which is kind of similar to uh, what was suggested for Brentford sort of like you can sort of put that long ball into Wood uh, between sort of the centre-back and the full-back that that eventually they will cause a problem uh, for us like like Darren said and then a, then it's just sort of your, your classic 4-4-2 Burnley stuff isn't it like a bit of a low block and then just try, try and get a set piece and eventually they'll they'll I, yeah I'll agree with Darren that I don't think it'll be I think if they got a point or three of us next season just playing that because it's it is effective I think and I think it does cause us problems the other thing that I'd probably be, be you'd be looking for is trying to draw Melier out f- from corners um, because although he, he took a large number of the the crosses at Elland Road. There were a couple where whether either the the Burnley player or a Leeds player got in his way, and he wasn't quite able to get something on it, and he was out of his goal. And I think that there is a reasonable chance that if you if you continue to throw set pieces of that nature, and that that will eventually create something where where Melier is out of his goal, and it it won't be his fault. That's how he's been told to play. No, it won't be Melier's fault. Um, it's just how he's been told to play. But um, but I I do think there's a that you know there's a good chance that they could get a get something from that too. Burnley are a direct team and I think direct teams can cause us problems and I think there's no shame in playing quickly and directly and yeah I think that there's there's a lot to be said really for Burnley's high press once it doesn't work drop back into a low block win the ball back and then be direct I think there's enough games where it causes teams problems and they've stayed in the Premier League um, for for a number of consecutive seasons now, so it clearly works in the long run. So um, I think that that would be there'd be no reason why Burnley should stop playing the way that they they usually do. Well, I think that brings us to the end of the podcast. It's been great fun chatting to you lot. Yeah, now we've decided how to out-tactic Bielsa and given a load of elite football coaches advice about how to beat us. <laughs> Don't worry, no one listens to this podcast, so it should be fine. <laughs> if you enjoyed this and you want to get more of our stuff, then there's plenty of ways that you can do that. We have uh, an Authors List episode being recorded uh, later today, so that will be out later on. That's on our Patreon. We also have a Patreon industry expert interview coming out this week i'm speaking to eric Laurie, who is a, a, a youth coach at uh, molder in norway um, but you may know him from twitter he's done a fair amount of twitter writing and has a big following um we, he's written a piece on potential tactical developments in the future so where's the where's the next tactical steps coming from where's the where are we going to see these next um, um tactical ideas coming from um so josh and i will be talking to him tomorrow night i think so that also will be up on our patreon at some point um in terms of the weekly episodes 
we're going to be doing a couple of primers. So we're going to do a tactics primer um, where we talk about tactical ideas that we we often just sort of throw into the conversation here but we're going to be a little bit more specific with them break them down tell you what we mean so if there's any ideas tactical ideas that we talk about a lot that you want to know more about do drop us a line and let us know what it is that you you want us to do and we're going to do the same as well with statistics as well so we'll do a primer episode where we'll say these are the basic statistics that we look at in the aftermath of a game these are the things that we should be looking at here's the way that you qualify what you're looking at with so you know not making um any sort of interpretational errors um so those will be in i think the next couple of weeks we'll we'll be doing them there'll be probably another episode that breaks the two of them up so it doesn't feel too much like summer revision for you guys but um do get in touch with us if there's anything about those things that you're interested in because this is your chance to to get that that bugbear off your off your shoulders when when we always say something like i don't know overload to isolate or something like that what do we actually mean um we'll we'll be going through all of those sorts of things so do get in touch can i put one on the list john you can can i understand what the tactical meaning of the word inshallah is <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'll add i'll add something uh, at the very end on that but that brings us to the end of the podcast and all there is for me to do is to say thank you darren thank you and thank you tom thank you very much and we'll see you very very soon deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.